Welcome to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they're able to overcome or transcend. I'm going to start this episode with a personal anecdote. I was standing in line at the grocery store with my daughter, waiting to check out. As we were standing in line, I noticed the racks of magazines amid all the impulse items, the candy, the gum. I was suddenly struck by one stark observation. Every single magazine targeting women in those racks had a prominently placed cover mention about dieting or weight loss. Every one. Lose 30 pounds in 40 days, one read. Now, it could be that we just happened to be in an outlier checkout line. This was an unusual thing. But I don't think that's the case. And I do think this is something that we all need to be concerned about. This episode, we're going to take a deep dive into body image and fat shaming. I'm sure that no one listening will be surprised to hear that the ideal body in our culture is thin. Very thin. And not everyone is very thin. Or even thin. In fact, most of us aren't. So let's consider the space between the ideal and the real. The chasm between what we are and what the idealized perfect is. The existence of this chasm, who we are and who we think we should be, is an obvious source of pain and insecurity for so many, in particular women. And there is significant evidence that the chasm is growing larger and this insecurity is manifesting in our girls at younger and younger ages. According to a meta-analysis conducted by Common Sense Media, more than half of girls and one-third of boys as young as six to eight years old think their ideal weight is thinner than their current size. That's half of first and second grade girls think they need to be thinner. First grade we're talking about. By age seven, one in four kids has engaged in some kind of dieting behavior. Five to eight-year-olds who think their moms are unhappy with their bodies are more likely to feel dissatisfied with their own. We can assume that most mothers don't even realize they are sending this message to their daughters. But when a girl sees her mother say something about her own body, like, I hate the way this makes me look, or I look so fat in this, the girl thinks her mother is beautiful and amazing. But our girls are paying attention to everything. They're taking it all in. And if their beautiful and amazing mother says, I am fat, the girl who was in the background listening is wondering, what does that mean for me? How then do I define myself? Signals given intentionally or unintentionally by parents 
are one contributor to body dissatisfaction. Another very significant one, which I can't stress enough, is media. Media sources like movies, television, and magazines focus on and reinforce beauty, physical ideal, and appearance. In one study by Kaiser Family Foundation, 58% of female characters in movies had comments made about their looks. Men and boys' appearance is talked about significantly less often in all three types of media. But if you're a mother of boys, don't think this doesn't affect you. You aren't off the hook. Boys are reporting body dissatisfaction at increasingly higher rates and are suffering from issues like eating disorders as well. And let's not dismiss the role that men and boys play in reinforcing the thin body ideal for women. Not because they play the role of villain in a neat and tidy protagonist-antagonist drama, but because they are acculturated to internalize the ideals of beauty for men and women as well. And the way they interact and treat girls and women perpetuates this myth. So what we have got to address, we have to, is that little girls love their bodies. They are amazing and wonderful and useful and allow them to jump and run and play and put their toes in the sand and splash in the bathtub and swing as high as they can on the swing set. And they love their bodies. And then they learn, little by little, message after message, that they shouldn't. So we know this is a problem. This isn't new information. We knew this stuff, right? So my question to you is, what are we going to do about it? And what are you going to do about it? Coming up next, my interview with Jennifer Rollin, a therapist in private practice in Rockville, Maryland, specializing in body image and eating disorders. She writes for Huffington Post and Psychology Today. Welcome to Women Transcend, Jennifer. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I am really excited to talk with you about this very important issue. I read your op-ed on Huffington Post entitled, We Learn to Hate Our Bodies, We Can Learn to Love Them. And I just think it's so important for women and for girls and, you know, parents and everybody to think about how this issue affects every one of us almost continuously. Um, so I appreciate you putting the thought into this and posting this. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very important topic that impacts a lot of people. Uh-huh. So in your op-ed, you wrote that... Body hate and fat phobia are learned behavior. Obviously, we don't, you know, come out of the womb thinking, oh, this baby fat, I can't <laughs> stand it, you know? Yeah. So can you talk about how we learn to hate our bodies and to be afraid of getting fat? Sure. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, I think that we're not born with this belief. I think babies and even, you know, really young children often kind of marvel at their bodies. You know, there aren't 
some of those negative cultural messaging, although increasingly, you know, that's showing up younger and younger. I think from the time that we are very small, we're constantly sold the lie, whether it is through the media, it is through peers, family members, seemingly innocuous comments that kind of this fat phobia and this belief that worth is in our body size, it's almost primed to the point where people no longer recognize that it's there. Exactly. Yeah. It also seems that, you know, fat shaming and fat phobia are almost the last acceptable prejudice or discrimination in our society. Do you agree with that? Yeah. So I used to make this point a lot. I think in talking to people who are more intersectional and as I become more intersectional in my viewpoint, I definitely recognize that, unfortunately, there is still many forms of acceptable discrimination in our culture, right? And we live in a very liberal area, at least I do, right, in Montgomery County. So I might think that it's absurd that people still make racial remarks, but, you know, that stuff still happens, right? So we want to acknowledge that. However, I think fat phobia and weight stigma is often not even viewed as bigotry, which it really is. It's kind of not even seen as a form of prejudice. And to bring that up, I think to some people, it seems almost ludicrous or something that they haven't even considered. And it really, you know, that normalization really works to reinforce the feelings of body hate and fat phobia. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And so I think it could be helpful to kind of talk about my inspiration for this article um, as it relates to this. So. I mean, obviously, in my work as a therapist working with people with body image issues um, and disordered eating and eating disorders, you know, this is a topic that I think about a lot. Um, However, what prompted this piece was somebody I'm connected with on Facebook who is a thin woman made a status, you know, something along the lines of, I feel so fat, you know, this is a really fat thing to do, but I'm going to sit in bed and eat Chipotle and watch movies, any movie recommendations. And so... Seeing that, I couldn't help myself with the work I do, right, and my belief in the fat acceptance and body positive movement. And I wrote back and I said, like, you know, this probably isn't your intention, but when we think about it, insert, you know, a certain race there and racial stereotypes, like that kind of status would never be acceptable, right? But I think to her, she didn't even recognize that that was bigotry. And so I didn't you know, I didn't call her out and say, you know, you're being dis- well, I did say you're being discriminatory, but I did it in a very nice way. And so she actually was very receptive to it. But a few of her friends, you know, started writing back, kind of mocking me and saying, you know, I must like fat boys was kind of their retort. And, you know, I'm reading too much into this, and it's ridiculous. And so I think, kind of what I said to them is, you no, know, I speak up against prejudice and stigma wherever I see it. Like if someone made a racial slur on my Facebook, I would comment on that too. And so I think it's really important to recognize what might seem to be some of these like micro comments, which again, I really don't think that this girl meant any harm, but we're so taught as a culture that to be fat means to be lazy, to be laying in bed all day, to be unattractive, all these things that it's almost just seen as okay to throw those kind of statements out there and it's seen as humorous. And then I guess the last piece about that is I thought, and what I said to her too is, Imagine a fat person reading that status and kind of what they're thinking. You know, it's shaming people in larger bodies and it's just reinforcing and perpetuating these myths that we've been fed, you know, from the time that we're really little, which I guess to circle back to your original question, this hurts people in so many ways. These 
stereotypes that were fed through the culture, the fat shaming that people receive. It hurts people of all shapes and sizes. Of course, you know, it's going to hurt people who are the furthest from the thin ideal the most, right? Like those people are going to be more ostracized. That's kind of how prejudice works. But it also hurts people who are thinner because all of us as a culture, many of us have internalized fat phobia. Exactly. And regardless of what number is on the scale, may I think that they are fat or identify with being fat and think that, oh, that means me. She's talking Mm -hmm. about me, even though they're, you know, 20 pounds underweight. Exactly. So I think it's two separate issues, right? So weight stigma and fat phobia very much exists. And people in larger bodies are subject to that discrimination. Like that is a real thing. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they should try to change their bodies to fit an ideal, which I talk about with clients a lot. Then the other side of the coin, what you're talking about is people who either have body dysmorphia and see them, their size is larger than it is, or people in smaller bodies who have the belief that they are larger, right, or who have negative body image. So for them, they need to work on the negative body image piece and kind of that body acceptance, but they don't have that added layer of oppression, you know, where they walk outside and people make fun of them or they go to the doctor's office and, you know, they're denied a service because they need to lose weight. They're denied a life-saving transplant. You know, they're told that their medical condition is their fault, right? So it's a different layer of stigma that someone in a larger body has to face. It doesn't mean, though, that it's not hurting everyone. Yeah, Now, you had mentioned um, assumptions people make about people's character based Mm -hmm. on their their body size. So people, and there's really good research behind this to support that if you see a person that you perceive as being fat or Mm -hmm. overweight, you attribute them as being, or you attribute laziness, they're not motivated, maybe they're not intelligent. Yeah. And how do you think that this then contributes to body image and how we feel about our bodies when those sort of constant microaggressions and maybe even, you know, outward aggression, yeah, you know, we're subjected to that maybe all day if, yeah. if you're a large person. Well, there's been some really interesting and sad research that's shown a lot of these medical conditions that we might attribute to fatness could actually be attributed in part to dealing with real oppression and stigma, because dealing with that on a daily basis, it can have serious ramifications, both in terms of physical health, and then also in terms of mental health. So I think these stereotypes, I mean, they can be deadly for people, they can cause people in larger bodies to avoid the doctor, right, because they're afraid of getting fat shamed. And so that could cause people to have poor health outcomes. So all of these health outcomes that we're blaming on fatness, it's not looking at But I think these stereotypes and the stigma, yeah, it definitely contributes to really serious and sometimes deadly consequences for people in larger bodies. Uh Uh-huh. And everyday things that we sort of don't even realize and take for granted, like um, you don't fit in a seat at the movie theater, or if you go fly on an airplane, you have to ask for a seatbelt extension or all these mm-hmm. humiliating cues we get if we need them, if we're, uh, you know, if we have a large body size and we need to ask for that. It's almost like it's okay for us to shame them by asking them 
to request the extra seat belt extension or to ask for a larger seat or these kind of things. Absolutely. And I've had clients who've talked about that and it it's very sad to me because, um, again, it is a form of oppression. I think the other big issue behind all of this is I think diet culture and society perpetuate the belief that like we all have a thin woman inside of us, right? Which is just not the reality yes. and that anybody who's in a larger body simply is lazy or not trying hard enough when the reality is that like body diversity exists, right? And so some people are naturally large and some people are naturally small, the same way some people are tall and some people are short. And so I think there's this problem where we're all sold this myth that this one body type is the right body type for everyone and that it's attainable. And so that's the lie that sells billions of dollars worth of diet products and keeps women fighting their genetics for years. Yeah, that that is a really excellent point. And I, I think there's even like a diet system that uses that phrase like this. Yeah. You know, you you know, you could be this woman. This is the real you inside that. But, you know, just like you said, there's a thin body inside there. Yeah. And, you know, where I actually so that's been seen in, I think, a few different ads. But recently where it came up is when Oprah signed with Weight Watchers, which where she talked about, I think, being a, there's a thinner woman. I don't know the exact line, but inside every fat woman is a thin woman or something. And a lot of people who are body positive activists and, you know, size acceptance activists pointed that out as here's Oprah, who first off has billions of dollars, right? She can access yes. the best trainers, the best nutritionists, whomever, whomever, right? Yep. And so first off, if she can't figure it out, that tells us something. Secondly, yeah. here is a woman who prior to her signing on with Weight Watchers, she was like somebody I really looked up to. And now I just have a lot more compassion for her, right? She's flawed. She's human. She's brought up in this culture. But here is somebody who has accomplished the height of her success. You know, like, I don't even need to list her accomplishments, but she is the top of her game, billionaire, you know, one of the highest achieving women in the world. And when asked in an interview with Diane Sawyer a few years back, like, what's the one thing that you would regret, you know, before you died type of question, she said, you know, that I didn't figure out the weight thing or that I hadn't lost the weight. And to me, that is sad. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I got to take that in for a second. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it that's, speaks to that's the larger, horrifying. It speaks to the larger issue, right? It's, and I've, I've written about this too. It's like I'll be at, you know, parties with some really successful women who have raised children and have amazing careers and marriages, and they're sitting there talking about their body and, bashing it. And it's just, it's such a waste of our time and energy. And it's almost sort of like we're acculturated that that is our common experience. Yeah. And when you, when you meet new people, I'm stereotyping here, but maybe when men might say, Hey, did you see that game or something? Women would be like, Oh, I feel so fat today. Oh my, these jeans are too, we just automatically, that's our, our common safe space is to talk about how oh, I'm so fat, and oh, I shouldn't eat this, but it looks so good. Oh, I'm going to regret it tomorrow. That's like our common space that we go to connect. And wow, is that sad? Yeah, it's it's so sad. Um, I think that part it's multifaceted. You know, it's first off, it's us, you know, playing into our own oppression as women through the guise of uh -huh. empowerment. 
I think it's also, it's a way for women to talk about some of these underlying issues, which again is something I see with my clients, which is body image is really in the mind and you can have poor body image at any shape and size. So I think it's interesting that often what I've seen, you know, through working with people is that their body image will be more negative on a day where maybe they're feeling really anxious about an upcoming exam or they just went through a breakup and suddenly their thighs, they've just that they're massive. So I think it's socially acceptable and it's also easier in a sense for women to connect around that than to connect around maybe some of these deeper insecurities or issues that they're really struggling Uh with. So I think it's kind of seen as so normative. It's like the you look great, have you lost weight type of comment. And it's it's upsetting for people. I think any appearance based comment is really it's not super helpful in the long term. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So the other side of this is that women reinforce this by sort of anybody that is that is comfortable with their body, whatever size it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, people like Melissa McCarthy, who is perfectly comfortable with the size she is, I, at least I think she is, mm-hmm. they still get sort of shamed for being comfortable with who they are, for the happiness they have found being themselves. And that really speaks a lot to... Um, how nor- normalized I think it has become that if somebody is happy with their body, that's the outlier. Yeah. I mean, I think part of that too is that people who have bought into this myth that thinness equals worth, thinness equals attraction, and who are fighting their bodies every day, who are on these diets, who hate themselves, who are restricting their food intake. They see somebody in a larger body being confident as threatening because it almost feels like they've dodged the line, if that makes sense. Like they've gotten maybe some of these social powers of being in a relationship or being successful without having to subscribe to this thin ideal standard. So I think people who are currently suffering, it makes sense that that would feel threatening to their worldview and it would feel almost enraging to them in a sense. Because it's flying in the face of everything that they've been doing and all that they've been conditioned to believe. Uh huh. That makes sense. I I had not looked at it that way, but that I remember I was I think it was last year there was a, a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. I think mm-hmm. she was on the cover who was categorized as plus size, even though I don't know how in the world she's plus size, but. I remember reading there was a lot of backlash mm-hmm. about her. And I remember it was somebody, uh, a supermodel came out and was sort of, you know, bashing her confidence and saying that she was a bad example for women because she's fat and that's not healthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, it's ludicrous to me. I mean, Yeah, I think, again, there's nothing more threatening to some people than a fat woman. And I want to preface and say, I use the word fat as like a neutral descriptor, which is what a lot of people, you know, in the size activism movement do the same way other Uh movements have reclaimed certain words because it's like short and tall, right? So obviously, I wouldn't say that to somebody if it wasn't part of, you know, they didn't identify that way, right? Um, Because it still has a negative connotation in our culture. But yeah, I mean, I think to some women, it just shows like the level of stigma and bigotry in our culture that like, it's so threatening to them to see a fat woman who loves and accepts herself. And yeah, even when quote unquote, plus size people are featured in the media, 
often they still meet some kind of standard. You know, they're still on the smaller end of the scale. Like we're not really always seeing true size diversity. Oh, yeah. So I think uh-huh. that's important to highlight as well. And I think the health reason is just another way that people are justifying kind of their bigotry towards people in larger bodies. Because to be honest with you, again, I don't have to go into the research. There is a lot of research that fatness is not the great health risk, that it's been vastly, you know, overflated as a as a health you know concern and in fact there are a lot of other factors and socioeconomic status is actually a much bigger predictor of someone's health outcomes but I think regardless even if somebody is not healthy you know and they could be not healthy in a size you know zero body exactly it's like yeah nobody owes us health and like health is not a barometer of worthiness you know like you could have a chronic Uh disease and Nobody's going to argue why are they featuring that model on the cover who has uh, yeah, a disease, good point. right? Yeah. So it's just another way to justify bigotry. Uh-huh. I'm going to go back to something that was in your op-ed and in Huffington Post that kind of gave me one of those OMG moments because <laughs> I knew it's one of those things that like I knew but seeing it in writing, I was like, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, but you wrote that this obsession with being thin has not been around time immemorial. It's mm-hmm. actually kind of a rather new thing. And it wasn't until, you know, historically rather recently that actually being kind of what we might say Rubenesque mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, voluptuous was desirable and it was actually a sign of being wealthy and so in in some cultures women wanted to be a little larger yeah you talk about this obsession with being thin actually started about the time that women started to get a little bit more traction and gain more political rights in our society mm-hmm. which is where i had my omg moment So what do you think is a connection? Yeah. So first off, like you said, the body that is harder, quote unquote, to obtain is often the one that's seen as more desirable. So back in the day when food was scarce, it was seen as a sign of wealth and beauty to be fat. And so I think now when you look at our culture, only, you know, like 5% of our society genetically has like a very slim body. And you know, there are scientific reasons for that, right? Because having a fast metabolism did not help you to survive in evolutionary times, yeah. right? So to get really nerdy, that w- explains why there aren't a ton of genetically very slim women. So that no, body that's type, really yeah, yeah, that's Im- important for us to you know, like this is genetic, you know, yeah. it's this is encoded in us exactly. Um, and so that's one piece of it. Of course, whatever's harder to obtain seems more desirable. And I think, yeah, it also shows that, again, the piece about body hatred being learned that I've seen ads that showed look more attractive, gain 20 pounds, like get him to notice you, which again, you know, these are older ads. And I'm not I want to preface this by saying I'm not like a historian. So my historical knowledge is not as great as like my knowledge of psychology. But I think that it is very gendered, like while body image issues affect both men and women, I do think that there are real links between stigma of women and this whole belief of women's value being in their appearance, which dates back long, long ago and still shows up now, obviously, in the political sphere, in every sphere. I think that's there. And then so it makes sense that kind of as women were gaining more political rights, 
Um, and also, you know, the rise of consumerism and, you know, these industries which make a lot of money off of selling diet products and off of women, you know, if we all felt great about our bodies, these industries would fail. So they have yeah. a vested interest in highlighting and promoting women's insecurities. Um, uh -huh. So I think that's an important point to make. But I definitely think that diet culture has a vested interest in, you know, selling diet products. And what sells diet products is women fixating on their appearance and believing that their value comes in having a smaller body size. Uh-huh. At that same time, you know, there was a nexus you know, women achieving greater rights, mm -hmm. political rights and, and greater representation and being represented in professions that we hadn't been before. And, you know, maybe one mechanism of control, I don't even know that this was the patriarchy mm -hmm. imposing it on us. Maybe we imposed it on ourselves or on each other was sort of to make us rethink our confidence in ourselves by sort of undercutting our comfort with our own bodies. I don't know, that it gets a little conspiracy theory there, but... Um. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's a great point. I think something about diet culture is that it promotes distrust and disconnection from our bodies. And that's a big piece of like what I work on with people. And also, you know, when I work with people, usually I work with, often with dietitians as well. But there's a whole process called intuitive eating, which is kind of an approach that helps people to learn how to retrust their body signals, which is, again, diet culture teaches the opposite. It teaches us that our bodies and our instincts can't be trusted, which I think when you believe that about yourself, it tends to generalize to other areas in your life. So I guess it promotes the sense of like distrust and intuition overall would be kind of my hypothesis. Uh-huh. That's a great point too. So how do we break this? How do we get our daughters, our young girls in our lives to understand that their innate value is not in the way that their body looks or the size clothing that they wear? And let me just add here, I don't mean to dismiss that there are not body issues with men and boys. There definitely are, and rise, there's an increase. Absolutely. But, but for this discussion, how do we raise girls to be comfortable with their bodies and to question the cues we're getting in society? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough climate, right, to raise a girl these days. And I think you know, they're going to be getting these messages. So I think what we can do, you know, whether it's as a parent or, you know, a mentor or teacher, whatever your role is, is, you know, things we can do are model kind of body acceptance in front of them. So, you know, if you're spouting all these things about body acceptance and body positivity, and then you're standing in front of the mirror and your daughter's hearing you bash your body, like that's going to start to set a precedent. So I think, the first step is modeling body appreciation, which yeah. for me really looks like gratitude for your body rather than focusing on its appearance. Because uh -huh. I find that, you know, a focus on body appearance, you know, our bodies are meant to change as we age. It's not really a great place to put all of your self-worth. Yes. So that's one step. I think we can also start to surround them with images of body diversity. You know, we can encourage them to read articles about women, you know, of all different shapes and sizes. And we can also educate them, you know, on fat phobia and weight stigma and how to respond if somebody makes a comment. And then 
you know, I think lastly, also complimenting them for things outside of their appearance and yes. really trying to emphasize, you know, their intelligence, their passions, their drive. Yeah. I think, again, like you said, body image issues impact men as well as women. But I think there's definitely, you know, some gender norms about commenting on women's appearance. And it's so ingrained that I think it can be a hard habit for people to break, but really trying to emphasize those other qualities that are much more important. Yeah. As a mom, one thing that I really try to be careful about, and again, this is this is really hard because it's so normalized, Yeah, is not to say something like, oh, I feel so fat today. I think we as women really need to check that because what we say about ourselves, are, the little girls are listening, whether it's your daughter or your niece or little girls that just happen to be around you. They listen to that and they are looking for role models or normative behavior. Yeah. And when we say things like that, that normalizes it for them. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the things we say, you know, I think it's the subtle things that they pick up on as well. And of, of course, you know, like parents are not going to be perfect. And it's important to give yourself compassion that maybe sometimes you don't say something the way that you wish you could, but also modeling. Yeah, like going to the beach in that bathing suit, you know, and letting yourself take the picture and not criticizing yourself and really making an effort. Yeah, to model for them body acceptance and to model for them that you know, your body size is not determinant of your worth. And if that's something that's really a struggle, I would encourage that person to, you know, seek therapy and work on their body image issues so that they don't pass it along to their kids. Because you yes, can, absolutely. the same way it's learned, it can be unlearned. Uh-huh. Now, at what point would you say that a person needs to get some professional help? Sure. I mean, I definitely think if it's starting to impact other areas of your life, I mean, I think anyone who wants help is deserving of help and no issue is too small, but I definitely think a big red flag would be if it's starting to impact other areas of your life. You know, if you're finding that, you know, your focus on your body or on food or on dieting is taking away from other areas of your life, from your relationships, you know, if it's causing you to feel anxious or sad, you know, you don't have to be stuck in that trap forever. So I think if you're noticing some of those warning signs, it would be really helpful to reach out to someone who has expertise in these issues, because unfortunately, there are therapists who are steeped in diet culture and fat phobia as well, right? So we have to yeah. be mm -hmm. cautious to find treatment professionals, preferably ones who identify as like health at every size, weight neutral, body image professionals. That's really important to note, because you're right, unless it's something that you you were either trained in or really believe in, um, it might be difficult to get good advice. Yeah. Great. Well, um, I thank you so much for this discussion. I thank you for the op-ed that appeared in Huffington Post. We learn to hate our bodies. We can learn to love them. I uh, appreciate the work that you do. And I really thank you for adding this to discourse because it's so important for men and for women, uh, we need to get beyond this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and for being willing to feature this kind of conversation. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Absolutely, great. Well, thanks so much.
This episode's Woman in the Spotlight is Gabourey Sidibe. She held the title role in the movie Precious. She has been outspoken about criticism of her size and weight. She says, quote, It's hard to get dressed up for award shows and red carpets when I know I will be made fun of because of my weight. There's always a big chance if I wear purple, I will be compared to Barney. If I wear white, a frozen turkey. If I hadn't been told I was garbage, I wouldn't have learned how to show people I'm talented. And if everyone had always laughed at my jokes, I wouldn't have figured out how to be so funny. If they hadn't told me I was ugly, I never would have searched for my beauty. And if they hadn't tried to break me down, I wouldn't know that I'm unbreakable. So when you ask me how I'm so confident, I know what you're really asking me. How could someone like me be confident? For that confidence, I'm happy to make Gabourey Sidibe our woman in the spotlight. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. You can do us a big favor and tell at least one other person about our podcast and how to find us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can be sure you won't miss an episode. It will automatically show up in your podcast player. If you like a particular episode, it's easy to share directly through Twitter or Facebook. A big thanks to Jennifer Rollin for speaking with me for today's episode and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode. 